0: Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hello and welcome to The Economist Asks. I'm Anne McElvoy, Head of Economist Radio. And this week in our Open Future season, we've teamed up with Intelligence Squared and we're asking, what's wrong with liberalism? My guest is Jordan Peterson, a clinical psychologist and professor at the University of Toronto. He's just written 12 Rules for Life, an antidote to chaos. Rule number one is stand up straight with your shoulders back. Rule number four, compare yourself to who you were yesterday, not to who someone else is today. Rule number six, set your house in perfect order before you criticize the world. I've already failed that one. Rule number 12, pet a cat when you encounter one on the street. So far, so modern folksy, but Peterson's best known these days as a scourge of much modern liberal thinking, a stance that's brought him a vast following of fans and detractors. It all began when, beyond the lecture hall, he took to answering questions in an online forum and says his procrastination-induced musings hit a nerve. They certainly did. He now has hundreds of thousands of followers on social media. His YouTube channel has over a million subscribers, with videos such as identity politics and the Marxist lie of white privilege and the psychological significance of the biblical stories. He wants to bring order to a world of chaos. Jordan Peterson, welcome to The Economist Asks. Thanks very much for the invitation. Why do you think that your book, 12 Rules for Life, on the bestseller lists already and the online videos with it
1: have struck such a chord? What's the zeitgeist? Because I'm firmly on the side of my viewers and readers, and I'm doing everything I can to help them understand how to live responsible and meaningful lives, and that there's a and that there's a conjunction between those two issues of responsibility and meaning that hasn't been addressed properly in our culture for a long time.
0: And when you say your viewers and readers, are you thinking here of a specific group of people? Are these? targeted on a particular group? No,
1: no, I I wouldn't say so. Um, I have more male viewers online, but on YouTube, the standard viewer is male. So it isn't obvious that that's a consequence of my philosophy, let's say, more than an artifact of the technology. I think that male activity is viewed with far more skepticism than is warranted at the moment. And that's certainly a problem. And That's part of the viewpoint that assumes that what our culture is is best construed as uh, oppressive patriarchy of some sort and that any activity within that is to be regarded as a manifestation of that proclivity towards tyranny, which is an absolutely appalling viewpoint in my estimation. And I make that, what would you call it, opinion quite clear. But for me, most of this is a matter of psychological endeavour, not political endeavour.
0: Just on your interest in young men particularly in in the young male in western societies you you often talk beyond that but mainly I think that's your focus would it be fair to say that your focus is on how men feel in societies and where you feel they're under attack I don't
1: think that that is my focus I think that my focus is the focus that you'd expect from a clinical psychologist and an educator which is to help individuals regardless of their group identity uh, live better lives I think the fact that what I'm being being doing is being construed in that manner is a consequence of the absolutely overwhelming influence of identity politics and and postmodernism, for that matter, on our political and philosophical discourse. What I'm doing is constantly being viewed as a manifestation of identity politics. And so people talk about my particular attraction for young white men. It's like, sorry, not true. There's, there's virtually no evidence for that. The audiences that come to see me are, and I hate to even categorize them in this manner because it's part of playing the same game, but very diverse ethnically and 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 with regards to gender as well. So the problem is is that the way that our discourse is framed right now, it's impossible to avoid being shunted into an identity politics box. And I think that that's I think that there's nothing about that that isn't reprehensible.
0: You said I mean I'm really interested in. Exploring what you know where you're starting from, but you sound you sound quite angry. What, what do you feel well, angry I, I, about this? I'm,
1: well, I'm 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 appalled at the role the universities have played in this, to 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 form to 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 have influenced the culture so that this is the manner in which our discourse um, is conducted, that the primary issue is which group is what you're saying targeted towards. It's like my my what I'm saying isn't targeted towards groups. In fact, it's precisely construed as an antidote to the idea that your message should be targeted at groups. I'm interested in the individual, and, and it also makes sense given my background. First of all, I'm a professor, so I teach individual students. And second of all, and perhaps not in that order, I'm a clinical psychologist, not a sociologist, not a politician, none of that, concentrating on the development of the individual. And when I go do my talks, I have thousands of people coming to my talks, and I meet I meet thousands of people as a consequence of doing that personally. And none of them talk to me about politics. All of them say the same thing. They've been watching my lectures online or they've been reading my book. They were in a dark place in their life. Um, They've been trying to adopt personal responsibility and a vision for the future and and, and to tell the truth to the degree that they can, to take responsibility for their own behavior and to improve their lives of their families and their communities. And because of doing that, things are much better for them. And that's the story. I'm interested that you
0: chose self-help kind of trope here with the book the rules for for life takes us back to samuel smiles and victorian sort of self-help manuals in some some senses in a a tradition but you're someone who doesn't like to be told what to do and you think you know a lot of modernity is kind of telling a bit finger wagging or telling people what to do so why would you accept your rules Would, would would you accept jordan peterson's rules if you weren't jordan peterson oh
1: good good point yeah well you know you you might also ask in some sense how i can get away with that because you know for example last year i did a series of lectures on the bible on 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 the on genesis and it's very easy to make that sort of thing into a finger wagging morality but i'm not not including myself in the list of people who need improvement i'm not talking from a pinnacle downwards to my audience you know i'm i'm stating a a fairly blunt fact which is that we have plenty of we have plenty of tragedy and malevolence to contend with in the confines of our life and we need to figure out how to deal with that properly without becoming bitter and cruel and resentful and these rules are guidelines to help people avoid those pitfalls rather than finger-wagging moral injunctions designed to make them feel guilty and so that's why the lectures are attractive because that that kind of top-down morality is actually absent from them. I mean,
0: one view of, of this large popularity that you, you're enjoying at, at the moment, the, 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 the moment, if you like, the Jordan Peterson moment, is that you've captured a kind of space between what many people think and what they're being told to think. Does that ring a bell with you? And, and do you think that's a, a fair description? Is that something you're kind well, of
1: aiming to do? Well, I think that people are have a sense... That the, Again, that the manner in which our public discourse is being conducted has, has tremendous danger. And the, the danger is essentially the elevation of the collective over the individual and that that poses a danger both on the left and on the right. And I think that by appealing to the notion of individual sovereignty, which I would say is the primary, would you say, it's the meta message behind all of the things that I've been writing about, that people find that a, to be a great relief even though what I'm asking them to do is to bear more responsibility for what they do than they might typically be uh, inclined to. And so, but it's all, it's see, look, I, I'm i facing some of the issues that, that people confront in their lives very squarely. I believe the the fundamental religious truth of the idea that life is suffering. It's suffering because we're mortal and fragile and because we're also subject to malevolence at our own hands and to the, at the hands of others. It's a, it's a constant existential problem. And that can make you bitter and can make you hopeless and nihilistic and depressed and anxious and, pro, and likely to abuse uh, substances of various sorts as, as a medication or an escape. It, it can augur you in, in in a very large number of ways. And I'm suggesting to people that there is a way out of that and the way out is to confront that forthrightly and to adopt responsibility in your own life and to try to make the world a better place and that it's necessary to do that. And that if you don't do that, that things go badly. And it's a relief to people to hear that because they know it. They already know it. So get a grip on yourself. Well, it's, it's more find something in your life that's so worthwhile doing that the fact that you're going to suffer is justifiable. But if that something of value... Were,
0: for instance, for someone to decide that they are a radical feminist or a radical uh, trans campaigner, that would be something of great value in their lives. But these are not positions that I think you think have been it's hugely helpful. It's not of
1: great value in their life because what they're doing is abdicating their personal responsibility to live by their own truth. Let's say to adherence to an ideology and i 'm not a fan of ideologies, I think they 're unbelievably dangerous, and i don 't really care whether they 're on the left or the right. So to be a feminist or a trans activist or to adopt that that group fostered view of the world, I think is generally an, a mistake and i don 't think it does people any good, not usually and It also allows them to adopt and and this is something else that 's very very gone very wrong with our political discourse is that it allows people to adopt an unearned um, an unearned sense of moral superiority and also of omniscient knowledge because an ideology offers you that. And there's just nothing in that, that that's helpful. So what it, it you just have fragments people. But then
0: what you have isn't an ideology?
1: or No, it's not because, an ideology. And there, isn't, you know, see, isn't,
0: isn't a strong collection of ideas, in a sense, always an ideology? No,
1: it's not. It's not. And it's a mistake to think that way, because all that means is that the way that you construe the world is is a battleground between different ideologies. And if an ideology is only that which serves a power elite, let's say, which is part of the postmodern neo-Marxist construal, then all it ever is is a battle of opinions. And there's nothing underneath that. And it's all power. And and that's just not an appropriate way of looking at the world. First of all, there's lots of forces at play that aren't mere power competence is one of them, assuming that there are some things that are worthwhile doing. And, and then with regards to ideology, I wrote a book about that. The first book I wrote is called Maps of Meaning. And it's a, it's a description of the relationship between archetypal or mythological thinking, proper religious thinking, I would say, and the parasitical structures that emerge from that, which are basically ideologies. And they can be technically differentiated. What do you make of liberalism? I would consider myself a classic liberal liberal you would consider yourself a, yes. a, a classic liberal yes, which
0: is also has beliefs attached right it be, it comes out of a, a a tradition of evolution of beliefs but there are also there is also a, a radical liberalism isn't there, which uh, feeds into feminism which believes that progress is is a better thing than, than lack of progress. I mean, it, the, the Economist is founded on those basics and that people can argue about what they want to, to take or leave. But do you include then liberalism as one of the isms that you would say is in crisis at the moment or has got itself into a well, mess?
1: Well, it, it depends to some degree, as you pointed out, on how you define liberalism. But one of the things that I like about the classic liberal take on the world, which, which I, and to which I think we owe Britain a great debt of gra- gratitude for developing, perhaps more particularly than any other country, is that the individual is, is to be regarded as the sovereign uh, entity in the political understanding. But that's not really a political claim. It's a claim that underlies politics. It's actually a theological claim. It's derived from the Judeo-Christian tradition. And because in the Judeo-Christian tradition, the suffering individual is the sovereign entity. And we established a political system based on that metaphysical axiom. And so I would say that to the degree that liberalism um, acts out the idea of the sovereignty of the individual, it's not an ism, it's it's not a political stance. It's far deeper than that, what it's predicated on. And the the, the idea of the sovereignty of the individual is an idea that emerged with great difficulty, over tens of thousands of years or longer than that, has an immense developmental history that radically predates, let's say, the Enlightenment or or any articulated political beliefs. It's far deeper notion than anything that can be encapsulated. Politically. But
0: if we look at the great some of the great classic liberals of the nineteenth century, and if we look back to Mill, for example, you, you you have individual liberty very strongly in there from Locke onwards, a sort of the sense of the sovereignty and no one from the monarch down has, you know, has the right to unfair sovereignty over yeah. another man or woman. Uh-huh. But you also have a strongly kind of progressive sense that, that develops as liberalism develops and takes you towards uh, women's franchise, towards, actually in Mill's case, a fairly out there feminism. If J.S. Mill was sitting here instead of me, would you be seeing eye to eye on whether that was a good idea?
1: Well, again, I I think it depends on what what you mean by feminism. I mean the idea that it would be a good thing for the world to arrange itself so that the talents of women were as available to use by the collective, let's say, by the group or by society as the talents of men, then obviously that's all for the good. I don't have any problem with that whatsoever um, because talent's in short supply and, and it's a foolish society that wastes it no matter where it manifests itself racial divisions or ethnic divisions or any of that, equality of opportunity. I can't see how you can be a sensible person and not... Do women have equality of opportunity then broadly across Western societies? Compared to what?
0: Well, compared to not having equality of opportunity. Well, compared
1: to 100 years ago, yes. Compared to 50 years ago, yes. Compared to most places in the world throughout history, yes. Compared to a hypothetical ideal, No. But would, I'm but not, would I'm that very, hypothetical very ideal
0: be a, a good ideal or a bad ideal?
1: Well, it depends on how you define equality. If you define it as equality of outcome, then it's a c- catastrophic ideal. See, this is something too. You know, one of the things I've been struggling with recently is the idea of of, of, of boundaries, let's say. We know absolutely, and, and this is relative to, relevant to your questions on progressivism, um, we know that the left can go too far and we know that the right can go too far. I mean, I would say that's the abject lesson of the 20th century. Both can go too far. And we kind of know when the right goes too far. We probably think the right goes too far if you had to boil it down to one thing when people start making claims of racial or ethnic superiority. That seems to be the marker. But we don't know when the left goes too far. And the left, to be frank about it, isn't very careful about differentiating itself into those who are pursuing a reasonable progressive agenda and those who have seriously gone too far. And I would say that when people push an equality of outcome agenda, they've gone too far. Even though it's not as blatantly horrifying, let's say, as claims of ethnic or racial superiority, the consequences of playing that idea out in the world are seriously not good.
0: But surely they are, you know, they're two kind of doorstops at the far ends of... The arguments. I mean, very few people, I think, on on the left, and there would be some who would advocate for absolute equality of outcome and everything it would take to achieve that's that. It's not so clear to Similarly, me. That that's a minority you know, there, view. there may be lots of things that are wrong both on the left and on the right that don't involve the right being overtly racist and the left wanting absolute equality of outcome. It's a space, surely, in the middle that matters, and that's why I suppose people feel that sometimes you're argument is almost sort of it's driving towards picking the fight rather than liberalism would, I suppose, encourage you to, see, to take no. the best and we can have the argument about what's the best and what's the worst of everything that's in between. No, I think, there's, with
1: I think that the the left poses a far greater danger than, than your analysis suggests. I certainly see this in the universities. Um, and the the drum is being beat very, very hard, perhaps not so much here, but in North America for equality of opportunity or equality of outcome under the rubric of equity. And equity is essentially a doctrine that fosters the notion that equality of outcome is not only desirable, but should be pursued as an uh, an object or as an explicit aspect of public policy. The the idea being that if the there aren't there isn't equivalent representation of all possible groups at all possible levels of all possible hierarchies that that indicates a tyrannical prejudice that needs to be rooted out. And that's having an absolutely pernicious effect on on institutions, especially educational institutions in North America. That's not a, it's an increasingly widespread view, and I think it poses far more danger than, is, is than it, you think.
0: Is it possible that views become more attractive when something is dissatisfied and when aspirations have not been met, which are reasonable aspirations to have. And you can then say that the answers are wrong or that they oh, distort. Oh, sometimes. But so I'm if this is such a popular view, to cite your example on campuses in North America, it may be that there is something out there that existing society has not satisfied.
1: What hasn't satisfied the ever-present human tendency towards envy and resentment, that's for sure. So that's all that's driving it? Not all, but it's a tremendous amount of what's driving it and a lack, of, an absolute lack of gratitude for what we've managed to accomplish and what we have in front of us.
0: Uh, perhaps just start by talking a bit more about gender with you, that un- sure. unfraught territory,
1: yeah. Um, yeah, which, yeah, yeah.
0: Uh, always seems to go well. Do you agree with people who hold that broadly gender
1: is a social construct? No.
0: When, uh, can I you don't hold e- with those people at all. Why?
1: Yes. Well, because first of all, that's an axiomatic pronouncement rather than a consequence of the analysis of the empirical data. And I mean, what do you mean a social construct? Genitalia aren't a social construct. Differences in height aren't a social construct. Differences well, in what weight we aren't a social from our construct. Genitalia is, to an extent, constructed. Right? Well, because there's environmental and and cultural effects on anything that's complex, and that's certainly the case. And differentiating what those are is a very difficult thing to do. But the psychometric work on that has already been done and done well. And when I, what do you mean I, by the
0: psychometric
1: work? I mean psychologists in particular have spent 40 years sorting out uh, an empirically derived uh, model of personality. That's the big five model, which is well accepted among personality psychologists in the mainstream, most of who lean left, by the way, by an overwhelming majority. So there's no right It's way a taxonomy, right? It might be five, it's it might a be taxonomy. six. I mean, they could yeah. be wrong. Yeah, but, it's, but one of the things that's interesting about the taxonomy is that it was atheoretically theoretically derived. It's purely a consequence of statistical analysis.
0: I'm I'm not sure where that's taking us or how far gender is socially constructed.
1: Okay, so the first thing to do is to figure out what the parameters are when you talk about something like gender. So the parameters are, say, parameters of temperament, because you said, well, we're not going to talk about the biology. We're going to talk about what's derived from that. Hmm. So we might say temperament. Okay, so we know the temperamental dimensions. We know that they differ between men and women, and they differ cross-culturally. And men and women are more the same by personality than they are different by a substantial margin. There's more similarity than difference. If
0: there's more similarity than difference. But that doesn't
1: mean the differences are irrelevant. So let me give you an example. So if you pick two people at random out of the population and had to guess which who was more aggressive, and you guessed the man, you'd be right 60% of the time. That's about the magnitude of the difference between men and women. Well,
0: that's 60-40. Like it's not, not that much of a that's budget, That's right. That's
1: exactly right. right. But, 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 but. And this is where things get more sophisticated. All right. So then imagine that you had to pick the one in a hundred most aggressive person Mm -hmm. and put them in jail, which is what we do. They're all men. So even though at the midpoint, the difference between men and women isn't that extreme, at the extremes, the difference is extraordinary. And most of the activity, or much of the activity in complex situations, happens at the extremes. Let in us that, come back to hmm? what
0: you make of, of the evidence.
1: Well, all I make of the but evidence is, is that there's multiple what, reasons for gender right. differences. So,
0: what do we then do with this? Let's say that we decide that there are differences, and we can argue whether that's about the average. I mean, who is the average woman? Am I the average woman?
1: Hmm? Are you well, the average in man? some ways, probably; in other uh, ways, yeah, not.
0: Right. Okay. Good. Good to know. Um, but uh, so, what do we do with this? So, it takes us into this argument about what progress should look like. And the gender pay gap was a a good example of that. Lots of different ways of describing it, lots of different approaches to dealing with it. Mm -hmm. The challenge to you would still be, I think, do you think that the situation that we have is broadly fair in workplaces and that women are self-selecting out of progress up the pay chain rather than being to an extent under the pressure of child-rearing that is not probably mm-hmm. uh, you know, accounted for or that they're not properly helped with. Is it really all about their decision or might structures not play a role here? One doesn't have oh, to be completely, completely mad to role. think this, right?
1: No, no, no. What you have to be completely mad is to reduce the whole thing to gender and to assume that it's a consequence of oppression. There's multiple factors at play and prejudice is one of them. The question is to what degree prejudice or arbitrary categorization, let's say, and and the lack of provision of opportunities for women is contributing to the pay gap and what, to what degree other factors are contributing. So there's other factors. Men are much more likely to do dangerous jobs. They're also more likely to do jobs that scale. So, for example, because women are more interested in people on average than men are, they tend to work in people-oriented enterprises, and those are hard to scale. And because you can't scale them, it's harder to multiply the income. Men are likely more likely to move than women are. Men are more likely to take on trade positions. They're more likely to work with heavy machinery. They're more likely to work outside. All yes. of these things add but to but the. But if you cashed out, sorry to yeah. interrupt you there. But if you if you took out working with heavy machinery, which some
0: women do, but more we will say right, more men will mm-hmm. will elect to do that. There's quite a lot of things in there where they're being nudged. You know, we're all nudged throughout our life to to certain choices. We don't have to accept the nudge. But then, would you accept that women have lacked? Opportunities that they have like the nudge has not operated in the same way. So for you to say, over well, they time, end up over what time span? Well, you can choose choose your time span. Say hundred years if you like. And well, I, I would I don't say really was, mind the time span. And the point is, are women, in a sense, already being going through all going through a number of gates in, in, in life? And well, some it's compli- are wider than others. It's
1: complicated. I mean, I think men men were directed down narrow pathways in ways that women weren't. So for example they were much more likely to be conscripted into wars for example which actually happens to be a non trivial phenomena because it resulted in the deaths and and the and the and the demolition of many men and so both both sexes are subject to the arbitrary strictures of 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 culture and perhaps you could argue that women had the worst time of it although it's not that easy an argument to make i would say that um, the extra pressures of child rearing and the inevitability of of pregnancy played a very large role in that, and we didn't de- deal with that effectively till 1960. And so, one of the things that I really don't like about the men, women were oppressed by men throughout history narrative is the fact that both men and women were terribly oppressed by nature throughout history, and that's not being factored into the equation. And I think that what men and women did for most of history, the decent ones anyways, was team up and partner up and try to make life the least amount of miserable for both. And yet we read this narrative backwards and we say, well, the reason that men and women weren't operating equally in the sociocultural landscape was because men were oppressing them. It's like, sorry, no. That accounts for a, t- a tiny fraction of it or some proportion of it. But it had much more to do with the fact that everyone was poor and miserable and that women were locked into a reproductive cycle from which they had no practical escape I mean, and what, we didn't fix that till the 60s what might irritate some
0: working women indeed some women whether they work or not is you you can either sort of look at something like the gender pay gap and sort of pick apart how difficult it is or you could say well let's you know, let's try to to fix this and let, let's have an intelligent argument about how we best fix this thing and the argument that women are self selecting out of the workplace uh, it well, actually though. becomes you know becomes a bit of a roadblock.
1: Yeah, but women do self-select out of the workplace really? all the time. Well, if you look at the legal profession, that's that's absolutely crystal clear. Women are overrepresented at the lower ends of the legal profession, but they stop they stop operating at the high ends in their 30s and it happens in all sorts of professions and there's good reason for it. I the mean, good what happens being... Well, because women in their late 20s tend to decide that they don't want to work 80 hours a week. They would rather have a family. And devote some time to that, which is a perfectly reasonable ch- thing to do. Another but, possibly reasonable thing
0: to do is for the child-rearing roles of men and women to come more into balance than allowing, with some trade-offs, life being imperfect, allowing well, women to come back earlier well, it, into the workforce. Well, yes, but
1: that also but assumes that, what that women want to do but is come that's not the argument back. that you put. You, no, know, you but, put it on the women. Well, no, no, not at all. And that's not a fair characterization in the least. Your argument is predicated on the idea that the advantage to women is in coming back to the workplace. But many women decide, especially once they have children, that having their children and spending time with them is actually more valuable than going back to the workplace. And that's a reasonable thing to decide. In fact, you might think it's the intelligent well, thing to decide. Well, a lot of decide.
0: people do then come back into the workforce and their, their pay is, is then lower. You know, well, that is, that, that okay, is...
1: well, that's something that you had mentioned earlier. And the fact that women pay a disproportionate price with regards to long-term career earnings if they become mothers that's a very narrowly focused problem, and it's a problem that might need to be addressed. But that's not the same as the gender pay gap. It's a much more defined problem. Yes, it's and, bit... and part of the problem is how do we best? Um, can, can we get you to carry a banner for for that part of the feminist crusade? Then, uh, not if it's part of the feminist crusade. No because that would mean I'd have to carry a banner for what I regard as a rather reprehensible ideology but I do overall feminism is a reprehensible now? ideology well what percentage of british women regard themselves as feminists now i don't know 7% it... well it depends. And the reason I ask for... the
0: question i would guess
1: well no the, 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 the reasonable the reasonable measurements of it estimate there's something like that it's a very small mm, percentage really? Yes, really. Well, it's a, it's you, would, a very small minority, even if it's not 7%. And part of the reason for that is. Would that, that make that it
0: inherently wrong? I mean, I'm not sure it's 7%. And, uh, you know, I think that's one on which no, we, we, we could all go and, and bandy a bit of research on, on the make, isms. But would it necessarily be such a bad idea? I mean, you must have sometimes stuck up for minority rights, even if the idea well, is first right. Of all, women, as you, you say in your book, stand women aren't up for what a minority, by the way. They're actually
1: a majority. Precisely so. So, in that sense. They're not minority rights that we're talking about here if we're talking about female rights. Have I stuck up for minority rights? I don't see the world. Well, you've said the the
0: 7% example would suggest that even a small group within women. Thought that feminism was that you just decide yourself whether feminism is a good thing or not, It doesn't really matter.
1: Well, I think it's not a good thing because it plays identity politics games, and I'm not a fan of identity politics games and the collectivist viewpoint. I don't think that men should be set against women. I don't think that we should view the world as a competition between men and women. I don't think we should view history as a as a structure that pitted oppressed women against the oppressor men. I don't like that story. I think it's I think it's a nasty story, and I think it's designed. It's it's destined to divide us in ways that will not be good. I think it's a it's a story fundamentally predicated on resentment. I don't think it's an, a, an accurate view of, of the way things unfolded in the past. And I don't think women were as powerless or as unable to contribute as the feminists claim they were before, like, 1960.
0: But, but earlier you thought that things did come into balance for women in the 60s, so something no, I, changed. I thought, something was
1: good about the 60s, yes? I thought that the birth control pill was invented. And the reason that's that women it. have far more flexibility, let's say, in their lives now, is fundamentally because they have more control over the reproductive status, and that never really happened until the 1960s.
0: Yes, and- but they may have built other conclusions on that, other than that. Great, I can control my fertility. It's, it's great, I can control my fertility. Now, what is the question that we're testing? Well,
1: that is, me. but that, but that, that, that's exactly it. That is precisely the question that we're dealing with. But, the, but the, but the causal order of that is. Oh, now I can control my fertility. Now what? That's a biological revolution.
0: But that has consequences for men as well as women,
1: right? Of course it does. Good. And, and there are consequences. So what do men we... have to change? Well, how would men have to change? Because women have control over the reproductive function. That's an, an open-ended question. I don't know. Casual sex is much more available than it used to be. That's one way that men have been able to change. They haven't had to take on responsibility for adopting a long-term monogamous relationship in order to get sexual access. So that's a big change. It's also enabled men... To not grow up to quite a great I'm degree. I'm not sure if you're
0: welcoming that or
1: I'm not I'm, it. not I'm not saying it's a good thing. It is a very complicated. So, so thing.
0: movements that bring, you know, that whole difficulty of the mating game mm-hmm. or the hookup culture into the debate must therefore be a good thing and presumably you would also well, I shouldn't I say, don't think – presumably but
1: would you welcome that? I think there's very little good about the hookup culture. I think there's very little good about casual sexual relationships. I don't think they're good for men or for women. And I mean, and
0: where do you stand on the Me Too campaign? Good thing.
1: I think that it risks damaging the presumption of innocence. I mean, there's plenty. Is there th- more to it than that? Oh, sure. Women, women, women face the the arbitrary admixture of sexual uh, advance and workplace and workplace performance all the time. It's a very complicated thing to sort out. We don't know how to sort it out exactly because. You know, I mean, NBC, for example, the American TV station, has, has made it policy that you're not to hug your co-workers, which, you know, may be true. Although I don't think it's the sort of thing that a corporation might be deciding for people. But we don't know exactly what the rules are for governing male and female behavior in the workplace because we've only been working together for about 35 years. We, d- we years. don't know.
0: After 35 years, wouldn't it be possible to figure something out?
1: Not when you're talking about a a, a transformation in behavior that that's that's that profound. I mean, we don't know how men and women can work properly together in the workforce. It's very complicated. But men do. don't know how to compete you know, with women. millions of men
0: and women across the world go to yeah, work together have, day but, in day well, out?
1: But you were the one so, who asked about me you're too. You're the one me who. Don't is, start with you're the one who. Me too is a, well. Me too is an expression of the fact that men and women are having a hard time regulating their behavior in the workplace. It's the only reason I responded to that. Because the question I was, think was
0: more broadly suggesting that, that, that some men are having a grave problem with it. What is the lesson of the
1: Harvey Weinstein story for you? Someone should have said something about Harvey Weinstein much sooner.
0: But we could start somewhere else. We could start with Harvey Weinstein was wrong to do what he did before we get yes, around well, I, to yes, yes, other, yes. other people should have spoken look, out. It's fair, that's look, a secondary no, no, order f- fair issue. Fair
1: enough, fair enough. I thought that went without saying. There are going to be psychopathic predators. They're going to exist. And what has to happen is that people have to stop them because they won't stop themselves. And so I thought that was sort of implicit in the statement. Obviously, he shouldn't have done what he did. But you don't think that the culture in which he was operating, that there was particularly in his world... In Hollywood?
0: In in his world and in many other worlds, that there was a culture of, you know, this guy's a powerful guy. He's the great silverback gorilla here. Let him get on with
1: it. Oh, I think that culture was everywhere in Hollywood, which is why I think it's actually quite... Well, Hollywood particularly. I mean, the casting couch idea has been around for a very long period of time. And I think that the Hollywood types who are all upset about this should look to their own devices with regards to the role they've played in fostering the culture that managed that.
0: What's the so, sensible thing for women to do about Me Too, to your mind? And what's the less sensible thing?
1: that That's a hard question. It, it isn't obvious to me exactly what men and women have to do in the workplace to make that kind of sexual predation... Me- much less likely with also subjecting themselves to restrictions on the sexual aspect of their existence that would be unbearable. It's very difficult. Well, what would be unbearable about that? How about everybody wears the same uniform to work? I think That's I what think. the Maoists... Well, look, if you want to eliminate the differences between men and women sexually at the workplace, you have to constrain the sexual differences. I mean, men wear suits to work. Well, we don't right? have to
0: eliminate the sexual differences for people to work together with respect.
1: You have to eliminate them to some degree. Why? I'm genuinely puzzled. Well, because you're trying puzzled. to... You're try, the question here is, to what degree should sexually related behavior be impermissible at the workplace? Well, it depends on how you define it. Should you be able to dress attractively? And if you can dress attractively, what do you mean by attractively Exactly. Like precisely, uh, I got right, into so, trouble.
0: I mean, I, I hope I dressed nicely today. You look very well dressed to me, right? You're a man, I'm a woman. We're both nicely dressed. Now we're getting on with the interview. What's the problem or perspective? Well, the problem,
1: problem is, is is the boundaries of what constitutes nicely dressed. Because there's, look, because part of what constitutes attractiveness, part of what constitutes nicely dressed is sexual attractiveness. Because you can't separate out human attractiveness, sexual attractiveness, from human attractiveness, and so then the question is exactly where are the boundaries, and that's what the discussion is about. Where are the boundaries? Well, the boundaries are professionalism, respect. Yeah, but those aren't boundaries. Getting on those... with the day job, uh, sure, not sure, but... uh, you know, not
0: speaking to one sex the way you wouldn't speak to the other. So, are we making this a bit too difficult? All about. Whether we are, you know, you course. be able are to date, date your co-workers? Do we look different in the office sometimes? Should you do.
1: be able to date your co-workers?
0: You should be able to date your co-workers when you both want to date each other and if, if there is any if there is a knock on into your your day job then you should uh, What if tell there's your a difference and so so What the if there's a
1: difference in power status at work? Then can can you date across categories of power status? Ooh. You can't at universities by the way. But, but yes, exactly.
0: It depends a bit on the institution, doesn't it, and what the, the power status it is? It
1: depends a lot on the institution. Well, it depends think? on how you define power. I think mostly you should try to stay the hell out of people's personal lives as much as possible and let them decide those sorts of things as individuals. But it's very, very tricky. I don't think anyone
0: is saying that sex and romance don't play a role in the workplace. A lot of people meet their partners through their workplace. I think lots workplace.
1: of people are saying that, as a matter of fact, which is why NBC put in their no-hugging policy. And, and there are plenty of companies that have Do a no-dating-your-colleagues no, think... no dating your colleagues policy.
0: But you had a lot of women coming forward and saying, you know what, under the guise of people you know, putting their arm around me or hugging right? me after an interview, I felt uncomfortable. I couldn't say anything about it before because there was a power structure, a hierarchy in the office, not uncommon. Uh, So now let's just like, you know, keep our paws off. Again, aren't you complicating something that could just actually be made simpler if there was an adjustment in the way that we looked at men and women and their equality in the workplace?
1: Well, sure. If there was that adjustment, then it would be simpler than it is. The problem is what would that adjustment look like? And the devil's in the details in all possible ways. You know, at my university, for example, people constantly recommended to me that if I met students, I always had my door open. It's like it was a policy I refused to abide by. But there were reasons for that policy. And the reasons was the possibility of accusation or perhaps the possibility of secret misbehavior on my part. These things get these things get pathological really really fast, and you know you think, well, people of goodwill can just deal with it. It's like, no, it's not that simple. Partly because there are lots of people who don't have goodwill, like Harvey Weinstein, for oh, example. We interviewed
0: David Mamet actually, mm-hmm. and you remember the fury about. Oleana, which which brought this and you know, still have very strong and controversial uh, beliefs about, you know, in a way you can kind of choose, because you can choose whether you think that this is such a huge deal that one's going to make a big fuss about it, or you can look for the incremental ways in which you're going to reduce the risk of people feeling hurt being you know, being mm-hmm. disrespected well the incre- why not go for that that seems oh, to be yeah. like the you know it's a good old-fashioned you know you can call me centrist mum but i mean th- what's wrong with that as a nothing. small L liberalism
1: nothing that's, a, that's, that's not, a fine solution
0: But you're the one who raised dress and sort of you know being nicely dressed in the whole sort of fraught area of sex sexual attractiveness as being a kind of problem in the world it place. is a
1: problem <laughs> it is Wait, a problem is but not, it might be well. a problem that can be solved in an incremental manner as you suggested because I think generally an incremental manner to solving problems is almost always the best approach. As long as but you get definitely... somewhere,
0: as long as the increments aren't so slow, we never get anywhere. Well, you know.
1: Even classical right.
0: liberalism, will, you know, it, well, it's, right. just, it's, it's pressing forward, isn't it? It's, it's not getting stuck. Right. The dinner parties, which are described in a foreword to your book, where friends enjoy debates and disagreements. Do you think in the broader conversation we've lost that spirit or in danger of losing that spirit?
1: Oh, I think, I think we're always in danger of losing that spirit, right? Because lack of freedom is much more probable than freedom. We have to be very careful to maintain that because it's always under threat. Um, but and I do feel that it's under threat now. I think that people are very careful about what they say in ways that aren't good. I think the fact that many comedians won't perform on university campuses now is a very good indication of that. That's a canary in the coal mine scenario, that.
0: Let's just stick for a moment on uh, on kind of polarisation as it affects mm-hmm. someone like you or someone you know, with your message. In one sense, we're arguing that polarisation of society is a bad thing if people no longer have a shared space or shared understanding even of debates and disagreements and nuance. And yet, aren't you part... Of that problem, you're absolutely of the culture that upvotes, that downvotes. You know, looking at the sort of sideline on one of your uh, your your YouTubes, and there's a lot of Jordan Peterson destroys so and so, kills someone. Yeah, well, this, that it uh, seems to me a very odd and reprehensible kind of this sort of consequence of some of the way that your argument is presented. And do you feel any responsibility there?
1: Well, I feel responsibility. I suppose um, the question is. The question is, what's the, what's the proper level of analysis, let's say? Well, okay. So first of all, people are making 4,000 videos out of my videos a week on YouTube. And so we're going to expect that there's going to be a tremendous amount of variance in how people do that. And they're competing for views, just like the mainstream media is competing for views. And one of the ways to compete for views is to become sensationalistic and to capitalize on polarization. And I think that's a very bad idea. And I think a lot of that is happening. Do you think you ever fall into that trap? Ever? Mm-hmm. Sure, I think I fall into that trap, although I wouldn't say when, I do it to drive we video. Well, you know, I because of my distaste for what's happening on the university campuses and my embarrassment at being associated with with, with that because of my my academic standing, let's say, I perhaps become more irritable about the fact of 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 identity politics than might be optimal. Although I think in the main, I'm quite careful um, and often under extreme duress. And I think that that's work so to my have you credit. Said, you
0: know, have you felt, and I think this is a sort of social media environment, sometimes pushes many of us in this direction. In, in, in what have you said then about identity politics, or possibly when you, you ended up in, in broad a big argument about trans rights, have you said things that you regretted?
1: I may have become more uh, emotional about things that might have been optimal. In terms of things that I've said, um, no, that's been okay so far. And I've, I've been very careful about what I've been saying.
0: But violence often pops up in in your work as something you think drives things. That you, I think you've said in relations between men are more are regulated by a background threat of force. And in a oh, sense, that's that's absolutely. why men have difficulty with women. Is that really no, sad? No, that's
1: why men have difficulty with women who are completely out of control.
0: But should, women have difficulty. control women?
1: Well, other women themselves, men, society, just like everyone is controlled. I mean, you're controlled by society. I'm controlled by society. And thank God for that. I mean, part of
0: funny, I mean, you you described yourself as a liberal. And I think a liberal doesn't think that a society controls women or men.
1: Well, let's say regulates. I'm a psychologist as well. I mean, we outsource a
0: woman. What is this creature? How do we know when we met one?
1: Well, I'm sure that you've met women in your life that that acted towards you in a bullying and detestable manner. It's very difficult for women to cope with that because they don't have any real recourse. And female bullying can be unbelievably vicious. And usually that takes the shape of reputation destruction, innuendo and gossip. It's well documented.
0: Disproportionately women, in in any view or not?
1: Yes, disproportionately women. That's what the data indicate. I mean, if men are... Where's
0: the data on innuendo and gossip?
1: Well, it's among antisocial behavior, among adolescents. It's a well-documented field. So because people look at aggressive and antisocial behavior in women and in men, and in women it tends to take the expression of innuendo, gossip, and reputation destruction, and in men it tends to take the form of outright physical aggression. There's a whole literature on that. It's it's not a surprise to anyone. This has been known for, for, for 30 years. I mean, the rates of antisocial... I think the idea of the
0: female gossip probably predates 30 years. Well, it does, but, it does. By a long it does. time, but that doesn't, it, it, no, it doesn't but, make it gospel, But people really, have.
1: It? No, it doesn't. But people have looked at how women express... Look, women have to express aggression somehow unless you're willing to say that they're not aggressive. They tend not to do it physically, not to the degree men do, so they use other channels. And what other channels are there other than physical aggression if you're going to be aggressive? Well, you go after people verbally. You go after them with innuendo and gossip and reputation destruction. And that's how, it, that's how it works. And
0: just to be clear, that you think that's predominantly a female modus operandi? It isn't that
1: I think that. Well, I'm it's that the you. clinical literature indicates that. It isn't that I think it.
0: Well, I'm not interviewing the clinical literature. I'm interviewing you. What do you well, think? Well,
1: I'm a psychologist and a scientist, I and, a I scientist. Tend to, and I tend to base my opinions on what I've read in the broad, relevant clinical literature. I'm not making this stuff up. I studied antisocial behavior for like 15 years. I'm actually quite an expert on it. And so we know that men are more likely to... Look, look, look at it this way. All right. Women are much more likely to try to commit suicide. And men are much more likely to kill themselves. And the reason for that is that men use lethal force and women don't. Now, that's a big difference. Okay, so then you say, well, women manifest aggression towards themselves and to others but they don't use lethal force they don't use physical force the same way men do so they have to do it some other way why do well, they what have the to ways? do
0: something some other way that you're like, because you can people take are aggressive war against you know so you're basically a hobbesian like no i'm half, of all and against half,
1: war. half and half half and half half Hobbes, half rousseau that's why i'm not an ideologue because i don't think that people are good or evil i think they're both i don't think that culture is security or tyranny i think it's both and I don't think that nature is benevolence or catastrophe. I think it's both, and that's why I'm not an ideologue.
0: Uh, you rightly picked up on the disruptive effect of of social media, but also the technological shifts in in media and mass media uh, consumption. Uh, my argument was that this might be, you know, leading to a polarization. That people like you, who are immensely successful within this. Milieu, also driving your book sales, you know, you just, uh, as I'm talking to you, hit the, the top of the Amazon list here in the, the UK. But there is that, you know, that point that you become part of the problem that you've put your finger on yourself. You want people to get along together. You want men and women to sort of trade off. We don't agree entirely where these trade offs are, but you know, we're here and arguing about it. And yet, at the same time, you succeed most when you say something very provocative that goes viral. You think you're sort of tra- no, I don't in think a I don't
1: think that's when I succeed most. So, for example, one of the one of the incidents. That propelled me to 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 su- success. Let's say, in terms of, of public recognition in the UK, was my interview with Kathy Newman, and the reason that that propelled me to success wasn't because I said something provocative, but because I refused under substantial duress to say anything provocative. And so the part of the reason that I've become popular to the degree that I have been is that I'm actually very good at keeping my temper under situations that would 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 not. Under situations where there's substantial reason not to, let's say, and I would also say that the, the good that I've done with regards to my online lectures far outweighs whatever harm might be done by the fact that people are cutting them and making provocative titles out of them and construing this as some sort of fundamental political war.
0: But it's not just other people, is it? It's, I mean, if you look at something like the, the model that you partly you know, use to promote your work is the crowdfunding site. So the more uh, you incite a reaction, the more loyal your Patreon site, the more loyal uh, the subscribers no, become, no. the more money is raised no. for causes that, that you want to promote. No,
1: that isn't how it works. The reason that, first of all, I give away all my content online for free. So the people who subscribe to Patreon are subscribing to nothing. They're they're supporting me and and they're not supporting me because of my political stance primarily. They're supporting me because they've watched my videos and they've been helped by them as individuals and they're hoping that that can happen to a lot of other. But people. if you want to give, sorry, excuse me. Yeah. If you want, if you see it
0: as self help and you want to give it away for nothing, then why bring money into the equation at all? And why have this sort of high octane sort of it crowdsourcing? does rely on people coming to you wanting to pledge their money why put money into it at all isn't this an area where
1: well, I am the market e- might be better left out I am an evil capitalist after all and I don't really make any apologies for that um, I set up my Patreon site mostly out of curiosity because I've been interested in, for a long time in how creative people can monetize their creative productions because that's actually part of my technical interest because it's very hard to monetize creative productions because they have long-term benefit but it's hard to sh- why do you want to monetize Well, because I can do useful things with money, and partly because I'm curious, partly because I need to live, partly because my job was at risk for a long while, and that's not going to happen to me again, partly because I had to give up my clinical practice because of other considerations, partly because I have a family, partly because I want to build an online university.
0: I mean, is it about raising money for a cause, or is it about raising
1: money for you? Well, I don't separate myself from what I'm doing, so I can't really answer that question. I mean, for me, what, am I going to buy a yacht? No, no. You know, like I'm not a luxury kind of guy. I'm not looking to live the high life. I'm 55 years old, for God's sake. What would I do with that? You know, I have lots of things that I would do with with some money. One of the things I want to do is build an online university, but it's not the only thing I want to do. And so I would put the money to good use, I suspect, or at least to reasonable use. And the reason that people are providing me with this money, which they don't have to do, um, is because they hope that I'll continue to do what I'm doing. And that is exactly the reason they're providing it with me. And my leftist critics have been, you know, been saying for (laughs) consistently. It's actually quite comical. Well, look at all the money that Doctor Peterson is generating with his Patreon account. It's like, well, I'm not selling anything. All the stuff I do online is free. It's not even advertising supported. So if people want to support me on Patreon because they think that what I'm doing is helpful, then like more power to them. As far as I'm concerned.
0: And do you feel that when the response that you get through that site and others that your judgment is equally? good when it comes to spotting sort of things that have gone too far and the sort of cant of the far left and attitudes that come from the the right, the far right, or alt right, and I'm not mixing up these yeah, categories, yeah. you know, you, you can differentiate between well, them. do you feel that your kind of hearing works better in one direction than the other?
1: Uh no, I don't think so. I mean this week, for example, I was accused by a Jewish newspaper of, of harbouring Nazi sympathies, which was rather miserable, but at the same time an alt right article came out today telling me that I was a stooge and a shill for the Jews. So, you know, I they figure I'm pretty much in the middle if I can attract that sort of criticism on both sides. And think- so and with regards to the right-wing issue... The right wing does not pose a threat to the integrity of universities in North America and Europe, but the left wing certainly does, and that's well documented and not by me. There are no conservatives in universities, in the social sciences, and the humanities. They don't exist, and that's not a good thing. And the radical left in universities absolutely exists and has th- utterly threatened the integrity of those institutions. And so to the degree that I've concentrated on the radical left, it's because the radical left has, has usurped the universities.
0: Although one might say in the global context, an authoritarianism, which often turns rightwards, is a threat to well, right, free speech, right, to universities, absolutely. To, use, to the, to, to the rules. Absolutely. Of, and I've uh, written extensively about
1: right-wing authoritarian threats to liberty. Extensively. We're,
0: we're nearly out of time. We should just quickly uh, come to liberalism. How does it need to change? You said earlier on that you were a classic. Liberal. We tussled to, a bit about what that might mean in terms of uh, what causes you support It needs
1: to dissociate itself from the radical left, which it refuses to do. It won't undertake the conceptual difficulty of deciding when the left has gone too far. And I've got to ask you, have you got a favourite feminist? Do I have a favourite feminist? I don't think of things that way. I'm, I'm not a favourite of ideologues. Do I have a favourite admirable woman? Who would be my favourite admirable woman? I'm, I'm sorry, I often have a, difficulty to, to a difficult time bringing names to mind. The woman who established nursing as a profession in Britain. Florence Nightingale. Yes, Florence Nightingale. It's like, good for Florence. She thought at one point they think men were unsuited to nursing because she, she had gender stereotypes. Shouldn't
0: we be telling her off?
1: Well, some men are unsuited to nursing and some aren't.
0: Any unlikely
1: heroes or heroines? Oh, I'm a big fan of Tom Waits.
0: Tom Waits, I think we can agree on that. Jordan Peterson, thank you very
1: much. My pleasure. Thanks for the invitation.
0: And we want to know what you think, and we're pretty sure you're going to tell us. Write to us, radio at economist.com or on Twitter at Economist Radio. And if you like what you've heard, do think about subscribing to us. We have an offer at the moment, which is 12 issues for $12, or 12 of your English pounds. In London...